0: to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, Sunday morning, studying the book of Colossians in a series entitled, uh, Give Me Jesus. very near the end of the book at this point, and we'll pick things up in verse 7. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved beloved brother, who is one of you, and they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow servant, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called justice, these are my only fellow uh, workers uh, for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, that is, Jewish, and they have proved uh, comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, uh, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for every jot, every tittle, every line, every precept, and the riches that are found in all of it and the broad diversity, all of the things of life, everything that's necessary for life and godliness found in it, and how thankful we are to turn to it this morning. And we pray that you would freshly fill us and give us a Holy Spirit sensitivity to what you might want to speak to each one of us about this important subject that we'll discuss this morning. And we pray and we ask for this work of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I think that very often in the closing portion of the Apostle Paul's letters, because they involve so many names and greetings that are personal, that uh, once we get, he gets past the doctrinal and kind of the practical side of, of things in his epistles, that we tend to view these closings as just kind of flyover uh, territory. But they're anything but that, if for no other reason than that they provide a invaluable insights uh, for us into uh, the person that was uh, the Apostle Paul and into uh, what characterized his life in terms of his effectiveness as an apostle. It would be a great mistake to view the Apostle Paul, as some people do, as this kind of a monastic figure, this person who loved God but uh, didn't care for people that much, that he might be kind of a prickly character uh, to deal with, largely friendless, that he could, uh, had this personality where he could run through a brick wall and accomplish anything, but that he virtually did all of those things on his own and was kind of a one-man show. And to try to understand Paul in that way would be to completely misunderstand him as he reveals himself um, in the Scriptures. And the fact of the matter is is that Paul was deeply connected with others. And he valued personal relationship in his life, really valued personal uh, relationship. And he enjoyed the company of a very broad cross-section of people into his lives, in, the, in his life, and invited them uh, to deep and influential places within his life. Of course, Jesus did the same thing. Nobody can look at his choosing of the twelve apostles and <laughs> not realize this was a pretty diverse group that he brought uh, close to him, and the same thing is true Uh, of the Apostle Paul. And I think we're wise as Christians if we follow Jesus' example in this area and Paul's example in this area as well. From one end of the Bible uh, to uh, the other, it teaches us as Christians about our relational need for one another, our relational need for uh, friendship. And uh, it likens us as Christians, as individual members or parts of a larger body and, um, and making the point that our effectiveness as any, as any individual part of a body is dependent upon the rest of the healthy function of the, of the rest of the body and our healthy relationship then uh, with that body. The Bible also teaches the fact that we're in need of encouragement of other people, the help of others, uh, the gifts that other people have, the perspectives that they have that we don't have, what the Bible describes as iron sharpening iron. And here we see in the Apostle Paul that no matter how experienced we might be as Christians or how spiritually mature we might be as Christians, that we need others— And this proverbial kind of lone ranger uh, Christianity is completely foreign uh, to the New Testament. That no one can prosper or grow spiritually on a personal level or prosper in our own areas of Christian service without the giftings, without the support, without the friendship of other Christians. Now, having said that, it's important for me to also say that while the Bible teaches that we need to be connected with one another in a meaningful way as Christians relationally, it also teaches that we are to be discerning about who we give that kind of a place uh, in our uh, lives because who we make our friends in life, who we allow to become uh, a, a deep and personal relationship within our life, that person then by virtue of that automatically becomes an influence in our lives. They become an influencer uh, in uh, our uh, lives. There are verses that speak to this, many that we could choose from. Allow me to share uh, three with you. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, Solomon writes, The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. In other words, we must never allow a person to become a friend and thus an influence, an influence in our life simply because they want to be our friend or they choose us as their friend. As flattering as that might be, Uh, to us, we are to choose our own friends. We don't let our friends choose us solely, we are to choose our own friends. It's not talking about not being friendly to everyone we meet. We should all be, as Christians, respectful and polite to every human being we come into uh, contact with but about who we bring into a relationship in our life, who we allow to become an influence in our life, we need to uh, do that choosing. Remember when our uh, two daughters were young and in junior high school and high school, the first day of school would come and we would remind them, be careful to choose your friends wisely because they will be your in- an influence in your life And if you, uh, who you choose as your friend is going to determine completely what we'll allow you to do in this coming year uh, with them or not allow you to do. Uh, with them and trying to drive home the importance of this in their lives. And of course, this kind of counsel, this kind of understanding about the influence of friends is not just important towards youth, as so often we think that it it kind of ends there at that stage in life, but this is important counsel uh, and advice to uh, adults uh, as, uh, as well. And perhaps for one or two of us here this morning, The Lord has been speaking to us, and so about some bad influence, a poor influence in our life, taking us down a wrong path. The Lord's warning us, warning us, warning us, and now he takes time in the sermon to say... Uh, don't do that. Listen to me on, on that particular issue and let that friend uh, go because you're not being a spiritual influence in it. They are influencing you uh, 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 poorly. Now, let's examine here the Holy Spirit's glimpse at the list of Paul's friends and co-workers uh, to see if this doesn't have something to say to each of us in, in this regard concerning uh, friendship. Uh, remembering that Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae while in his first imprisonment in the city of of Rome, the first of two imprisonments. I think the English uh, clergyman of the last century, a gentleman by the name uh, of Guy King, his commentaries are wonderful, by the way, and we always, on an annual basis, uh, recommend and uh, uh, promote, if that's the right word for it, his book on prayer. It's uh, one of the best that is written. But Guy King wrote of, and I think he got it exactly right, as he wrote concerning this passage, and I quote him now. He said, I dare say uh, you have had the experience of receiving a letter from a friend in which he has enclosed a group photograph of friends well known to you both. Paul seems to have done uh, here, in words, something of the same kind. He has grouped together the thumbnail sketches, a number of people who are round about him in Rome, and all who are well known to the church members in Colossae. And of course, the Apostle Paul had no camera in those days, didn't have that kind of technology, and so he provides for us something that is even more valuable, and that is a verbal uh, photograph of his friends and his workers in the gospel. He begins in verses 6 through 9 by uh, talking about those who journeyed uh, to the church in Colossae to deliver the letters, a letter that he sent to them and uh, from the city of Rome. And he begins with a gentleman by the name of uh, Tychicus in verses 7 and 8. And you notice Paul's description of him there, that he is a beloved brother. The fact that he is a brother speaks of the fact that he is a Christian. He's a part of the family of God. Beloved, when, he, when Paul would speak of someone like that, it, it, it was communicating that this man was especially dear to the Apostle Paul and uh, especially valued as a companion. And as a coworker, he describes him as a faithful minister. And the word that Paul uses for minister there is the word that we get uh, used for our modern day word of of a deacon. In other words. Tychicus, in terms of his ministry, and in terms of, of Paul's uh, involvement with him, there wasn't anything he wouldn't do uh, that he was called on by Paul to do. He would do it. He would not only do it, uh, uh, but he would fully do it. He was completely faithful. Wouldn't do it just uh, halfway. And no matter how hard, or no matter how uh, costly, or how messy the task might be, or how inconvenient it might be, he didn't consider anything Paul asked him to do to be beneath him in, in accomplishing. Paul says that he was a fellow servant uh, in the Lord, and, uh, and he viewed his life as belonging to the Lord supremely, no longer to himself. Paul describes the purpose for sending him out there in the latter part of verse 7. And then into verse 8. First of all, to carry this letter uh, to the church there in Colossae. And then further, to fill them in on Paul's circumstances uh, of his life. It would have been inappropriate for Paul to take a God-breathed document like the letter of Colossians and then add two chapters on it that were all about what's happening in his personal life. He recognized that. But he recognized the church was interested in those things and so he uh, sends uh, messengers here now who will provide that to them orally. These uh, Tychicus was also sent to learn of their circumstances and also to be a comfort to them. Probably to go there, assess the damage that the false teachers had done uh, there in the church at Colossae and then be an encouragement to them for the church to find its way kind of uh, going forward. His history with Paul is is an interesting one. He first appears in the biblical Uh, record in Acts chapter 20, where he joins Paul in Ephesus on Paul's third missionary journey. He then travels with him to Troas, which is in Asia. At that time, it was called Asia, western Turkey today. He then went to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth, and what is modern-day Greece, and then accompanied the apostle Paul back to Jerusalem for the close of his third missionary journey. It's likely that Tychicus became associated with Paul because he was representing uh, the city of Ephesus as others were concerning other cities in bringing the offering from the Gentile churches uh, to the Jewish Christians who were in severe physical need uh, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem and in order to communicate to the, Jew, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem of the love of the Gentile church and of the fact that the Gentile church recognized that they all needed one another. It was a beautiful gesture on the part uh, of, uh, of the Apostle Paul. And here now, some six or seven later after that, Paul entrusts uh, Tychicus to deliver three of his four uh, uh, prison epistles to Colossae. So he delivers uh, this letter to the Colossians. He he then, as we learn in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and Paul's letter uh, to Philemon, as well as a letter to the church of Laodicea, which has either been lost uh, to us in terms of history Uh, and it might very well be, as many Bible scholars believe, that the letter to the church at at Laodicea was in fact the letter that we know today as the letter to the Ephesians, that it was a circular letter, that uh, simply a a, a city was put into the opening of it. There's nothing personal about the city in that letter. It could be addressed to many, many churches at the same time, uh, we, uh, we don't know. And so, uh, 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 all of these letters would have been circular letters, of course, except his letter to Philemon. And then, uh, five years later, after uh, the events that Paul is talking about here in this chapter, it's possible that Tychicus uh, was sent to Crete in order to allow Titus to then leave the church that he was pastoring there, and, uh, and to travel to meet Paul in Nicopolis uh, for the winter at Paul's request. And then ultimately, about a year after that, Paul was imprisoned in his final imprisonment in Rome. And, uh, and it would end in his martyrdom. He wanted to see Timothy one final time before he died. And so Paul sent Tychicus to Ephesus uh, where uh, Timothy was pastoring in order to spell Timothy to be able to come and visit with uh, Paul. Imagine becoming an interim pastor uh, for uh, Timothy and Titus. Uh, the kind of trust that Paul must have had in this man Uh, to entrust Uh, How precious and important each one of these churches were that had been established there uh, in the early church, and the confidence that Paul had in him to uh, entrust those uh, churches to his leadership for a time. And then imagine the responsibility. I mean, uh, if Paul needed it done uh, here as he's he's, uh, taking these letters from one city to another, he's spelling pastors on an interim basis, but if Paul needed it done, if Paul called on Tychicus to do it, then he did it. It didn't matter what he asked him to do. And Tychicus was one of only a handful of men who stayed in close association with the Apostle Paul all the way to the end of his life. And little did he realize as he joins That delegation, a representative of Ephesus, to take those offerings to Jerusalem, that what was going to come out of that would be a relationship with the Apostle Paul that would uh, uh, go all the way to his dying breath. And here he is, he's entrusted to deliver Paul's uh, prison epistle Uh, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus or Laodicea and his letter to Philemon think about those letters. We talk about uh, the prison epistles. Philippians is in there. Uh, That's not a part of what's going on here. But you think about those letters and how deeply those letters have impacted spiritually Christians now for 2,000 years. Think about how the book of Colossians has affected our lives. The book of Ephesians has uh, affected our lives. Uh, lives, and how faithful you would have to consider a person to entrust them uh, to deliver these letters, whatever it took. And I think an encapsulation of Tychicus as a friend to the Apostle Paul, we might encapsulate him as Mr. Reliable, as Mr. Uh, Faithful. A friend who was to Paul utterly and unfailingly reliable and faithful in accomplishing anything that the Apostle Paul gave him to do. He always finished the job that Paul entrusted to. Uh, him. Paul couldn't do everything. He needed someone uh, who would do it for him, and someone who was as drop-dead serious about the gospel and the advances in the gospel as he was, but he couldn't do certain things, and to hand it off to someone where he knew there will be no slip-up here. To give this to this man to do, it is going uh, to be done. And Tychicus was such a friend and a co-worker to the the Apostle Paul. Onesimus is mentioned next in verse 9. And he accompanies Tychicus on this uh, very, very significant uh, uh, errand. And his history with the Apostle Paul is a very interesting one. Onesimus was a runaway slave. And he ran away, the many slaves in the Roman Empire, he ran away from his owner and then he made a beeline for the city of Rome. Rome was the largest city at that time, and that section of, of the Roman Empire numbered about a million people. So it was the place where an escaped slave, or runaway slave, could go and then become anonymous in that particular uh, environment and, and avoid uh, detection. And a runaway slave, if they were ever caught, they'd be returned to their master, who would then have the freedom to do anything from uh, beat them for leaving, to uh, killing them as an example to all of the rest of, uh, of the slaves. Now, we're not sure how it happened, but we do know from the biblical record that somehow when Onesimus Anis- runs away to Rome, that he comes into contact with the Apostle Paul in his uh, imprisonment and uh, became a Christian as a result of that contact we might guess that somewhere in the course of this, Paul learned that not only was Anisimus a runaway uh, slave, but that he had fled a master by the name of Philemon, who not only attended the church in Colossae, but was a leader in the church in Colossae. And beyond that, the church appeared to have met in his home. And thus Paul's description of Onesimus, who is one of you, that is, he declares that he is from the city of Colossae. Now, interestingly enough, uh, illustrating the old saying, to say nothing of the ride at Disneyland, it is, it's a small world. And it is the Apostle Paul who had led Philemon to Christ as well, sometime before his imprisonment. And so what to do? He's led the slave owner uh, to Christ. He's led now the runaway slave to to Christ. He now has a relationship with both of them. And so Paul persuaded Onesimus to return to Philemon, accompanied by Tychicus, who then proceeded to deliver Paul's letter uh, to Philemon, the book in the New Testament that goes by that name, the book of Philemon, explaining the circumstances. How it is that Onesimus had become a Christian by way of the same human instrument that that... Uh, Philemon had become a Christian, the Apostle Paul, how dear Onesimus had become to Paul, and asking Philemon to forgive and receive Onesimus, not as a runaway slave being returned but as a brother in Christ and to do so not for Onesimus's sake but to do it for Paul's sake to treat Onesimus as as Philemon would treat him in in the same place and which would certainly mean releasing him as a slave as well which surely uh, Philemon uh, did but imagine now Philemon in the city of Colossae and he sees Onesimus returning with uh, Tychicus and uh, imagine the church in Colossae witnessing the same thing. Onesimus' name is mud in the, ro- in the law and the culture of the ancient Roman Empire, and, and by being a runaway slave. And, and as a result, Paul not only wrote a letter to Philemon to receive uh, Onesimus it, it, back into good graces, but he includes a mention of Onesimus here in the letter to the church at Colossae and declaring him to be a faithful and beloved brother, that is, he's not merely a Colossian. But, and not, no longer to be seen in your eyes as a runaway slave, but he is also a Christian. And so he is to be warmly received by uh, the church as well as one of Paul's messengers, and he's to be received on a par with Tychicus. And that is a, a beautiful commendation, of of the Apostle Paul, of this man. And and this certainly did what it was intended to do to eliminate any thought within the church of any kind of persecution against Onesimus uh, as a result of his actions. Now, we might consider an encapsulation of Onesimus as a friend, as the man with a sinful past. I, I personally don't think it does any of us any harm as a Christian to have among our friends And thus to have among our influencers in life, people who have come to know the Lord from a very different background uh, than we came to know the Lord from. To come from a very different background, B.C., before Christ, than the background that we had before we became uh, a Christian. The Apostle Paul, he came to the Lord from a, the background of a religious sect of Judaism that emphasized holiness, uh, but it also nurtured terrible, terrible uh, pride, and a, a pride that looked down upon all Gentiles to say nothing of how it viewed uh, Gentile slaves. And here you have Anisimus. Talk about coming from the other side of the tracks. Onesimus comes to the Lord from the very, very rough and tumble background uh, of being a Gentile slave, and yet God puts them together in a meaningful relationship with one another. And I think about how much we learn from other Christians who have a life experience very different than our own before they come to know the Lord. They're be- very different than us in terms of personality and, and, and how much we learn from one another as Christians based upon making friends with people who come from the other side of the tracks, uh, whatever side of tracks the tracks you were raised on. And I know in my own life, these kind of relationships really uh, enlarge our understanding of the lives of people that we inhabit this world with that come from a completely different background than us. And then uh, to learn about and, uh, and come to an understanding about other people and then to develop uh, a compassion in our hearts towards people uh, that we might uh, shun because we don't understand them and certainly to develop a respect for them as well. And whether these... This kind of uh, thing has to do with race or it has to do with nationality or education or economic class or whatever it might be. And it is good for us as Christians to, uh, to make sure that all of our friends don't come from the same well in life, that they don't come from the same source in life, that they aren't all exactly like uh, we are because if we do that, it will surely stunt our growth, personally, individually, as people, but it will also do the same as a Christian. And So let's make sure to allow the Holy Spirit to bring into our lives someone who came to Christ as a notorious sinner, Uh, not supremely for their sake, not supremely for patting them on the head and giving them a privilege, but supremely for our own sake, and uh, just like the Apostle Paul did, and just as Onesimus did with Paul as he came from uh, a background that uh, surely was as disturbing to God uh, as anything that Onesimus had been involved in. Paul then moves on in verses uh, 10 through 14 And uh, he starts to speak about those who remained with him in Rome but wanted to send greetings to the church in Colossae. And there's a total of six people. Three of them are Jews and three of them are Gentiles. And he begins with the Jews, uh, is the first three. And he mentions a man by the name of Aristarchus. In verse 10, he introduces him as uh, my fellow prisoner. His history with the Apostle Paul was one that he uh, he was from the city of Thessalonica. It is uh, probably so that Aristarchus became a a Christian as a result of Paul's ministry uh, there in Thessalonica uh, during Paul's second missionary journey. He later accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey, which included, you might remember, uh, a long three-year visit in Ephesus and the great riot that occurred uh, in the city of Ephesus as a result of the effectiveness of Paul's uh, calling on people to come to know in the true and the living God and they became Christians in such numbers that it began to put a noticeable dent in the sale of the silver uh, idols that were created by the silversmiths uh, to uh, the false goddess Diana. And uh, Ephesus was the center of the entire world for the... the. Um, the worship of Diana. And when that, they noticed that it's this man's preaching that is, is resulting in economic loss for us and out of a zeal for the worship of, uh, uh, of Diana, uh, they worked the entire city up, the silversmiths did, into a frenzy. They chanted, great is Diana of the Ephesians for two solid hours. I couldn't say Anything uh, in a chant for two thousand. I mean, for uh, uh, sorry, for two solid hours. I mean, y- y- you would imagine uh, 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 imagine the adrenaline, imagine the frenzy of that that uh, particular environment. And in the course of these events, they wanted to get their hands on Paul and, and tear him from limb to limb, but they couldn't get a hold of Paul, so they did the next best thing. They seized his travel uh, companions, and, including Aristarchus, who would himself have been torn from limb to limb, except for the fact that a city clerk, a Roman official, stepped in, and he rebuked the silversmiths and said, this is an unlawful riot that you're involved in, and it will come to the attention of Roman officials who will come in in force and, and, uh, and, and uh, chasten you uh, for it. And yet, despite all of this, Aristarchus continued to accompany Paul for the remainder of his third missionary journey, traveled then to Jerusalem with him. In Jerusalem, he was taken as a prisoner uh, by the Romans after his appearance Uh, Paul was taken prisoner by the Romans after his appearance there in the area of the temple, and it produced the riot that it did. And then Paul was sent to Caesarea, where he remained uncharged for a number of, of years of any kind of Roman crime. And then as a Roman citizen, finally, he appealed his case to Caesar. And Aristarchus stayed with him through all of it. And then much later, Aristarchus traveled with Paul and Luke when they sailed then from Caesarea to Rome while Paul was in Roman custody. And you remember that particular journey, the shipwreck, the storm, uh, landing on the island, all of it. And Paul describes him as my fellow uh, prisoner, which could refer to the fact that Uh, Aristarchus was being a Jew imprisoned in the same way that the Apostle Paul was for the same reasons, or it may be that his love for Paul caused him to voluntarily be placed in any kind of prison cell or prison environment that Paul was uh, uh, placed in while on the journey to Rome and upon Uh, reaching Rome. We might encapsulate Aristarchus as a friend as very simply the man who stayed. The man who stayed at Paul's side uh, no matter what. And he remained at Paul's side no matter what the circumstances, whether they were religious riots that put your life in danger, and a religious riot is the most dangerous riot uh, you can ever see. And And he stayed at his side in the midst of the storms, the shipwreck, in the midst of the imprisonment. And he didn't do so for a number of days or weeks or months, but he did so for a period of years and years. And I think that Aristarchus was a man who understood the power and the need of presence, human presence, Christian presence, and the life of other Christians during their time of need. Very often, this kind of person isn't called on to preach sermons or to raise the dead. He certainly wasn't called to do that. Uh, But this kind of person will never let another Christian brother or sister bear their burdens alone in life. And you ask yourself, what is behind this kind of a commitment toward another human being? As this Aristarchus had toward the Lord, and there is a deeper stream that flows related to that, and I think it's an almost unforgotten word in our culture. The reality of it is even more unforgotten, and it's the word loyalty. The Book of Proverbs describes such a person in this way: Proverbs eighteen twenty-four, a man of many companions may come to ruin. You can have a lot of friends. And end up ruined. But here's a different kind of friend. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In other words, one of these is worth all of the others put together. And Paul had one of these in Aristarchus. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times And a brother is born for adversity. And loyalty and friendship is commended from one end of the Bible uh, to uh, the other. But of course it is very rapidly disappearing uh, within uh, our culture. As it will disappear in any culture that is hell-bent as we are in nurturing selfism and selfishness. And it's something that we need to be aware of in terms of the value of loyalty, the value of being someone who stays by a friend's side through thick and thin in, uh, in the, the body of Christ. And every Christian, every servant of the Lord needs an Aristarchus in our lives just as the Apostle Paul uh, did. Then he mentions Mark in verse 10, and he described him as the cousin of uh, Barnabas, which opens up a a whole kind of history in your mind uh, biblically. Uh, Mark had been raised in Jerusalem. In fact, the early church, the very early part of the church, the church met in the home uh, of his parents And and he was a part of it. He accompanied Paul and his cousin Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey, and they got hardly any distance at all into that first missionary journey before something happened that caused uh, Mark to be frightened in some way related to things and to uh, run uh, back home. And he really left them in in a bad way as a result of Of that. And later, when Barnabas wanted to include Mark on Paul's second missionary journey, uh, Paul absolutely refused. The contention became so great between the two of them that they broke off into two separate missionary journeys, and and, and as we look at the biblical account of their ministries, they uh, never served uh, again for the rest of their lives. Now, Barnabas, his name being the son of consolation, would have obviously taken his relative, Mark, under his wing, and Barnabas, being a son of consolation, probably kept his uh, head, his nostrils above water in the condemnation of his failure at such a significant uh, responsibility that had been entrusted uh, to him and to keep him, uh, 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 you know, surviving with a hope in terms of the future spiritually and ministry-wise early on. But it would be the Apostle Peter who would ultimately take Mark under his wing and then uh, disciple him into full spiritual uh, maturity. And uh, who better than the Apostle Peter to disciple someone after they have made a great mess of a considerable responsibility that had been given uh, to him. And uh, speaking of his denials and many other uh, kinds of things. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit used Mark to pen the gospel according to Mark, and, uh, and, and, and it's widely held that the gospel according to uh, Mark is actually as close to a gospel according to Peter as we will ever get. Because everything that Mark puts in that gospel that the Holy Spirit brings to his remembrance is what Peter spoke into his life from that relationship, in uh, as a as eye witnesses to those those things. Because God likes happy endings, now here you are many, many uh, years later in our our text, and Paul commended Mark to the church in Colossae as someone who should be received without any kind of uh, reservation. He was a changed man, and then further, uh, very late in Paul's life, he would call Timothy to come to him, but tell Timothy, Specifically, I want you to bring Mark with you as well, for he is useful to me uh, for ministry. We might encapsulate uh, Mark as a friend, as the man who needed a second chance. He needed a second chance from Paul, who then gave him that second chance. And Mark's previous failure, his previous lack of faithfulness, again, this was a considerable blow to the Apostle Paul. And his response to uh, even the thought of Mark uh, coming again with him in any kind of a a ministry situation tells us uh, how disappointed he was in Mark over what it is that had happened uh, 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 there. But as greatly as Mark had let Paul down, Mark's willingness to admit that he had been wrong, admit his mistake, to repent of of his sin there, and then to... persevere under the very strong refining of the discipleship of Barnabas and then the apostle uh, Peter. And God knows, uh, only God knows what else he went through in order to redeem his reputation uh, for being untrustworthy and, and uh, uh, w- was greater still. The change in his life, and Paul uh, saw it, and gave him a second chance to serve with him, and also uh, to restore the relationship and to allow it to have a different ending. Mark raises, I think, a couple of questions for us, especially those of us in the room who might be the kind of people that are pretty intense, pretty type A, and all it takes is one uh, n- not an insignificant but one very major failing of another person that produces a, a-, a tremendous consequence within our lives to then write that person off uh, for good and to to determine that uh, that we 'll never give them that kind of a place in our life ever again. and I think that this relationship, this history with with uh, Mark and with Paul. It, It might search our heart here this morning. Is there some damaged relationship in our Christian life? Someone who's disappointed us greatly, but they've repented of the wrong. And not merely repented, but there's godly sorrow with the repentance. And they've grown into a a Christian to such a degree that anyone can recognize they are no longer the human being uh, that they once were and that we need to give them a, a second chance. And when we do so, so often if we're willing to take that risk under these kind of circumstances as Paul did with Mark, we will gain a very close and valuable relationship in our life going forward. And God will oftentimes make that relationship even closer than it would have ever been without the history of failure and grace uh, within that uh, relationship. And of course, the great motivation in being uh, this kind of a give this kind of a second chance to another person is to remember how many second chances God has given to us. I mean, I, I always count it as a second chance, but we're numbering in the thousands, maybe tens of thousands in, in my life, and I won't even say it. Wait, somebody's I'm getting a word for somebody here that's in the millions. But... Uh, But we all recognize how freely in this relationship that we have with God as we have failed Him mightily in things that He has entrusted to us and his willingness to give us uh, a second chance. And I think the reason that giving someone a second chance in this way feels so right in our spirit when we do it is because we are rarely more like God than when we do so. And then he talks about a man in verse 11 by the name of Justice. His his real name was Jesus, which was a very common name among uh, the Jews. But imagine becoming a Christian and... uh, you have the same name as the Son of God. You have the same name as your Savior. Be a little awkward, wouldn't it? It's like, no, that name is like for him. And so here is justice. He changes his name from Jesus to uh, justice to remove that kind of complication uh, related to his name. And all we know about justice is what's found uh, in this passage. He was a friend and a co-worker with Paul Uh, who sent his greeting to the church there uh, in in Colossae. We know that he was Jewish. He was a fellow worker for the kingdom of God with Paul. And then very significantly, Paul describes him as someone who was a comfort uh, to him. And perhaps an encapsulation of justice as a friend would be the fact that justice is virtually an anonymous man as he's presented here. We know virtually nothing uh, about him, and I think that may be the entire point. We have no record that he was a deacon, or that he was an elder, or that he was a pastor, or he was a Bible teacher, and yet this very anonymous, apparently regular kind of guy found a place into the inner circle of the Apostle Paul at that time. And you ask, what in the world about his life would produce that kind of uh, access and, and, and that kind of, of influence uh, that Paul would allow him in his life? And further, uh, Paul describes justice as a comfort uh, to him in the passage. The Greek word that Paul uses for comfort uh, is the origin of our English medical word, uh, paragaric which speaks of a medicine that lessens pain. It speaks of something that is soothing. It speaks of a balm. It speaks of an ointment. It speaks of something that brings comfort uh, into our life. And in other words, justice was simply a friend and a co-worker who didn't add any drama to the Apostle Paul's life. He already had enough drama in his life. He was easy to be around, and Paul was comfortable around him. And I don't care who you are, even if you are the Apostle Paul, you need relationships in your life with people that you are completely comfortable in. And so we might encapsulate him as the man who was easy to be around, or someone you are comfortable with. And Paul had that kind of a man in justice. And I'll tell you, any Christian is rich who has a friend or two uh, like this. Someone who has dropped dead serious about the things of the Lord, but is also... Very good company and easy to be around. Then he speaks of Epaphras in verses 12 and 13 as he moves on to the three uh, Gentiles here. And he describes Epaphras there in verse 12. He is one of you. He is from Colossae and a bond slave of Christ. His history with Paul is an interesting one. In fact, it's one we've already covered in the the very beginning of the study of the book in chapter 1, where in the year 53... Uh, some uh, A.D., some 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was on his third missionary journey, and uh, he came to the city of Ephesus where he stayed for a period of years. It was Paul's methodology to go to major metropolitan areas, establish a church, and then move on to another metropolitan area, and then leave it to the church that got planted there to reach the smaller cities that were around. And apparently, Epaphras was one of the men that was, uh, came to know the Lord through Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And so he then uh, made the trip 100 miles from Ephesus to Colossae, And he began to evangelize the city of Colossae and a church was established. And he was the founder of the church there in Colossae. And then here, uh, these uh, years uh, later, uh, he, eight years after all of that had, had happened, this problem of false doctrine arose in the church at Colossae, and uh, so Epaphras traveled to Rome and found Paul in his imprisonment and asked him to address the situation, and uh, in, in, in the, the letter is the, is the fruit of that. Perhaps a, a, an encapsulation of Epaphras is a friend, is that Epaphras was clearly a man of prayer. And his this prayer life is described by the Apostle Paul here. I think it took something for your prayer life to be, uh, to catch the eye of the Apostle Paul. And clearly the prayer life of Epaphras caught the attention of the, uh, of the Apostle Paul. And in in Epaphras, Paul had what every Christian friend and co-worker needs, and that is a man or a woman of prayer. And even more important, a man or a woman who becomes a prayer partner. And Epaphras could not write the letter that Paul wrote. That's why he went to Paul. He couldn't write it that would correct the false teaching there in Colossae, but he could pray for them and he could pray that when the letter did arrive that it would have the effect upon the church that Paul intended it uh, to have uh, uh, upon them and so he prayed then we move on to Luke in chapter in verse 14 he's described as the beloved physician this is the only place that we know that Luke w- was a physician How limited our understanding of Luke would be in the Gospels and his ministry with Paul if Paul did not reveal to us at this point that he was also a a physician. His history with Paul, uh, very significant. He joined Paul in uh, Troas during Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, Luke would remain with Paul for the next 15 years until Paul's martyrdom. During his third missionary journey, the arrest in in Jerusalem, Paul's incarceration in Caesarea, his appeal to have his case heard uh, uh, by Caesar, the journey to Rome, storms, shipwreck, everything associated with it. He was with Paul during his first imprisonment. He was with Paul when Paul was released for a short time after that imprisonment, and then he was with Paul in his second uh, imprisonment and subsequent death and Luke became uh, Paul's personal physician. You think about what Paul uh, had, I mean, how hard things were him, for him physically, not just because of how difficult uh, life was 2,000 years ago in the world, but, but Paul spoke about the effect, effect that he had a thorn a, a in the flesh, literally a tent stake in the flesh, perhaps an eye kind of, disease problem that he had. He wrote to the Corinthians about his many afflictions, and all you have to do is to read the book of Acts to see how many times he was stoned, how many times uh, he was beaten, the persecution that was brought uh, 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 against him, the long imprisonments, and, uh, and he was just flesh and bone like everybody else. He could have had arthritis, he could have had this, or he could have had all kinds of things, and he was a physical being. He didn't have have a big S on his chest, and he needed somebody to, to take care of him, not spiritually, but physically. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit used uh, Luke to provide us with the New Testament books of the gospel according to Luke and the, the uh, book of Acts. Almost a, fully a third of the New Testament written by uh, Dr. Uh, Luke, the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. And perhaps an encapsulation of Luke as a friend uh, might be that in Luke, Paul had a friend and a co-laborer in the gospel who was uh, a truly sympathetic man toward him. A truly sympathetic man. Paul, this was a man Paul could be transparent with about his needs, about how he, he was uh, feeling, about his physical condition. And Luke was the kind of man who, and the kind of friend who's never put off by learning about our weaknesses or learning about our needs. Some people will hold it over your head. Some people will use it as leverage a little further down the road. But Luke never did that to Paul. And Luke was to Paul someone he could share all of his burdens, his needs with, and know that they would be sympathetic toward him when he did. Someone who really cares about you. They know that you need them. They know that as strong and as whatever as you might be in some other areas of life, they know that you need them. And they will do whatever they need to do to ease your burden. And what a friend Paul had in Luke. And then he closes this section by speaking about Demas in verse 14 and ultimately though he speaks favorably of Demas here ultimately it wouldn't be long before Demas would abandon Paul he would abandon God's call upon his life Paul writes about it in his final letter just prior to his death in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 10 for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica and clearly until uh, he, he viewed this as a betrayal. In other words, this was a gut punch. This affected the apostle uh, Paul. All relationships do when people uh, abandon us in those relationships that we invest in is, is fully a, as fully as we do. So clearly Paul valued his, his support and his presence with them. And this, uh, again, left Paul in the lurch. And typically the backslider... It's only thinking of themselves when they backslide. And very rarely do they stop and think about uh, the gut punch that uh, this backslide or this betrayal or this abandonment of the relationship will have upon the person that I'm going to abandon now uh, in order to now go back to the world and, th- and to find uh, fulfillment in the, uh, the, the world, the flesh, the devil, and some kind of idolatry that it has uh, to offer. And Demas reminds us that not every relationship among Christians is going to be a painless one, and not every one of them is going to have a happy ending because they don't. Relationships are risky things because they involve two people. And you only have control of one person in the relationship. It's just like in a marriage. I when I come home from work at the end of the day, so to speak, and and I I walk in that door, I am trusting by faith that Karen is still there and hasn't left me. I mean it would be the shock of my life if she did. But 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 I don't have control of her. I don't have control of that side of the relationship. So all relationships leave us vulnerable in this kind of a, a, of, uh, of a, a way. They involve faith, but what's the uh, alternative to it? Uh, in terms of protecting us, ourselves from a uh, demis within our lives? the alternative is loneliness and isolation. And we see here in this, even this pandemic that's going on around the world, the terrible price that every kind of age group is paying physically, emotionally, their mental health in terms of isolation and, and in terms of, of loneliness. And Demas reminds us that what we are now in terms of our Christian life and witness is no guarantee that we'll Always be that. At this moment that Paul writes this, it looks like Demas is this. Going forward, it's all going to be the same thing. But it didn't stay the same with with Demas, and uh, and uh, and what we are today is no guarantee that we will be the same thing in the future unless we determine to uh, protect that in our lives and to realize that it is every bit as important to begin our Christian life and ministries well uh, and, to, uh, and to finish well uh, additionally. Demas is in this portrait that Guy King references. He's kind of a, a portrait of happier days for the Apostle Paul. How many of you have pictures? Don't shout out. Uh, 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 rhetorical. But how many of us have pictures, uh, group pictures of earlier seasons in our Christian life? And uh, when we thought we're all going, to, it's all going to be this way. We're all going to continue to walk with the Lord. We're all going to continue to c- consider these relationships valuable. And now you look at the picture, and it's no longer as innocent as it once was. It's no longer as pure as it once was, because of the, of the memory of someone who began well but didn't finish uh, well. And Demas reminds us of our responsibility to be to other Christians. What We want them to be to us. But none of us gets out of this without heartache and heartbreak in terms of relationships, even in the body of Christ. Jesus didn't. He had his Judas. Paul didn't. He had his Demas. And we won't uh, 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 escape that kind of thing uh, either. And I guess it's kind of a comfort to us in some way that if Jesus and Paul couldn't avoid these kind of of uh, disappointments in their life, these kind of betrayals that neither will we But God will work it together for good in our life and He will never uh, uh, abandon us. I remember Gail Irwin, he was teaching at a pastor's conference and he was teaching about when he was in seminary or Bible college and he was preparing for a life as a pastor. And all of the seminary professors were telling him and everyone else that was in the training that he was in is when you go to start a church, never, ever, ever, ever get close to anyone in the congregation because they will hurt you." So Gail goes to his pastorate and he said that he tried it, but it was just too lonely. And that's the fact of the matter. It's just too lonely of a life. And uh, Demas is the risk that we take in having meaningful personal relationships. But really, what's the alternative? a life of isolation, a life of loneliness, which is not what God calls us to as Christians. And so again, Paul was faithful to engage the unsaved world around him, to take that gospel out into the world. Think of the spiritual warfare that he endured, the trials that he endured, the rejection, the physical hardship that he endured. I mean, we can only imagine it. And as a result of it, it was necessary for him to surround himself with a certain quality of friends and co-workers and then to make them also his influencers, suggesting to us that it's important to have just such people in each of our own lives uh, who bear these marks as well. a Tychicus, a friend who's utterly reliable, utterly faithful, and all that Paul asked of him. Onesimus, a friend with a sinful past. Aristarchus, a friend who stayed on Paul's side no matter what. Mark, the friend who needed a second chance and became a closer friend than he might otherwise have been in being given the second chance. Justice, the friend who was a comfort to Paul and comfortable to be around. Epaphras, the valued prayer partner. And Luke, the sympathetic friend who was not put off uh, by Paul's needs or his weaknesses physically and realized that God had called him to have just such a place in Paul's uh, life. And I trust as we've gone through this this morning, I know I'm three minutes over. I'll be one more minute. But I, so I trust as we go th- have gone through this this morning, you have recognized people in your own life as a Christian who take, ha- have these kind of places in, in your life and in our lives and how rich we are to uh, possess uh, those kind of friendships. And I, ser- I know I certainly have in preparing the message. And so let's stand together now and uh, let's uh, close this time on friendship and and influencers within our lives and the importance of them now in prayer. Father, we thank you for this um, passage where you had the Apostle Paul open up with these names and then histories that we could readily discover in the other epistles and to discover what they meant to him and the kind of relationship that was there in order that you might remind us and encourage us today in this important, important reality in the Christian life, the importance of relationship, the importance of godly influence in all of our lives through fellow Christians. And we thank you that you have taken that, um, the importance of that aspect of the Christian life for us today, and you have clothed it uh, in the life of a man that we love and respect so much as Christians in the Apostle Paul. And we pray that you would use this time in, in, um, that we've, we've had in looking at all of this to continue as we leave this place to provoke thanks for all of the men and women that are these kind of friends within our lives, Lord, and then to continue to grow us into a place that we might also be uh, just these things in other people's lives as well. And we ask for this work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.